welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We're going to be in Acts 19, so if you have a Bible, go to Acts 19. Before that, let me just give you a quick overview. We've been communicating this over the last two weeks, and we're going to continue to do so. But we talked about this in our vision, so... Our staff and elders got together in April and we, we basically rallied together for a couple of days and we reorganized our, our, our structure. We dreamed about the future and we said, what does the ideal future look like? What are we working towards as a church together collectively? And we said, we're working towards seeing in Long Beach as it is in heaven. That our vision for what we're doing, the future, the ideal future is that it is in Long Beach as it is in heaven. It is in Seal Beach as it is in heaven. Wherever we go, wherever we live, we are hoping, working, striving, praying for in Long Beach, in Seal Beach, in our city as it is in heaven. That's what we've been working for. And so our mission, what we're striving to accomplish is to reveal Jesus. That's it. So you look at the structure of how we organize our community groups, how we organize Sundays, how we hire staff, and how do we organize budgets, and, and, and all the stuff that we do, the activity. We're hoping that what we're accomplishing is we're simply revealing Jesus to everyone with everything we do. We're trying to inspire and encourage people to reveal Jesus in their lives. And so what that means for us, how do we accomplish this vision and, and mission? Well, we've, we've landed on a couple of things that you're gonna hear and we're gonna talk about. They're all interrelated and, and it's not as, as a clear strategic kind of strategy, I suppose. It's, it's way more integrated than that. It's holistic. We are about restoring lives. We believe we wanna introduce people to Jesus and that when they meet the resurrected Jesus, Jesus begins to transform their lives, renew their relationships, restore their, their hearts. And uh, whenever you're in a right relationship with God, you begin to live in a right relationship with yourself and others. That's what we're about. The second thing is as we do that as individuals, we're collectively grabbing community and we're organizing ourselves to make disciples of all nations. We want, what does that mean? This is what it means practically. When you hear the word disciple, we want to release every single one of you. We want to equip every single one of you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ wherever you find yourself. We want to equip courageous leaders in every sphere of domain in our society. We want you to influence people at your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your communities. So we're about making disciples. We're about restoring lives. And lastly, we recognize that wherever we go, we're gonna gather as the church. And when we gather, we wanna be intentional about multiplying our communities for the sake of the city. We don't gather for our sake. We gather for his sake in the world. Does that make sense? So we're about three things, restoring lives, making disciples, and renewing cities. Sound exciting? Oh, wow. Just like, you're just as excited for baptisms, I can see. Ha, ha, ha. Brothers and sisters, I just want to share, this is a vision that you need to give your life to. Because this vision is about you as an individual, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. Next week, we'll talk about our community, and the following week, we'll talk about our city. But this vision is for you. It's for every single one of you experiencing the life of Jesus, participating in an irresistible community and giving it away for the sake of others. And if you say yes to this, if you half-heartedly say yes, that's great, you need to know what you're saying yes to at the Garden Church. You are saying yes to committing to an organization, a community that doesn't exist for itself. 
We are the only institution, organization in the world that exists for its non-members. That's what we're asking you to participate in. And we don't have membership, so you can't just sign your name on something. You have to participate in the life of our community. And if you're looking for a place to just coast along with, this is the wrong place to be. And it's, it's amazing. There's some great churches in the city that we'd love for you to participate in. Um, but I'm just rallying the troops. Because this is not a cruise ship. This is a, this is a battleship. And everyone has a responsibility to play it. Amen. Amen. All right, there we go. All right. So um, <clears throat> I want to talk about the future. What does the future look like for the garden for our city? What does it mean that we're going to renew the city of Long Beach and the cities we gather in? How do we do this? And to answer the how we are going to do this, I actually want to tell you a story from the book of Acts. So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at this story in the book of Acts chapter 19. And we're going to answer the question, what caused the riot in Ephesus? Because what caused the riot in Ephesus 2,000 years ago has significant implications for our future, for our lives today, and the trajectory we're moving towards, the direction we're headed on as a church together. Are you with me? So what caused the riot 2,000 years ago? There are three things that the author Luke gives us, and I'm going to talk about one today. Um, and it has significant implications for life as a follower of Jesus, life at the garden, and our future of seeing in Long Beach as it is in heaven. So let's start with the story. Go to your Bibles, Acts chapter 19. Um, it begins... Uh, uh, Sorry, actually, why don't we start at the end of Acts 19, okay? So what caused the right? In order to answer this, let's look at what happened, and then we're going to go back to the beginning, just like a Tarantino film. So there we go. Acts chapter 19, it's, uh, verse 25. A guy named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, he made, fake, he made idols for goddess, the goddess Artemis. And so what he does in verse 25 is this. He called them together, along with the workers in his related trade. So he rallies the city. And he said, you know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Can anyone else hear how, how passionate the Spanish ministry translation is? Can you guys hear that or is that just me? I can hear it. If you're over here, you can hear it. She's way better than I am. <laughs> Daisy, preach it. Um, <laughs> We had translation going on. I love it. He, uh, he says, he sa so Paul has, con where did I leave off? And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, the economy will shift, but also the temple of the great Ar goddess Artemis will be discredited. Um, and God, the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of, of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The whole city of Ephesus was in uproar because of the church. It says that 25,000 people take to the streets and chant, great is Artemis for two hours. There's a riot in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus is turned upside down and it has something to do with the local church in Ephesus. Now, what you need to know is context. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire 
at that time, 2000, nearly 2,000 years ago. That means there are about 250,000 people in that city, half of the size of Long Beach. Ephesus was a port city. It was an influential city. I mean, trade and goods and, and economy exploded in Ephesus. Tra- uh, uh, ships would come in from all over the world and go out from Ephesus into the lane, uh, mainland Asia and uh, all over Asia Minor. Uh, it was the banking capital for the Roman Empire. It was uh, a vibrant, wealthy city. It created a lot of culture outside of itself. Um, but to be Ephesian was to worship Artemis. And so as we talk about that context, we, can, we have to see how much it connects to our context. So Artemis is this god in the ancient context where uh, she was this false god. She was worshiped by millions of people in her heyday. Uh, She was the goddess of the hunt and small animals, which is ironic, Um, right? Isn't it? Anyone catch that? How can you be the goddess of hunting and small animals at the same time? (laughs) Is it connecting now? Do you see? Okay, is it? I feel like that's funny. And I'm really trying right now, and you guys aren't giving me anything. I'm just gonna sit right here until I feel it's back. Okay, so she's also the goddess of, of, uh, of fertility, and she was the god that, re- she was called Lord, Savior, and God. And you worshiped her by giving money, giving your whole self to her, if you wanted to have a child if you wanted to have a family, if you wanted a successful business, you brought your worship to Artemis because she was worshiped as the goddess of financial blessing and prosperity. She was the goddess of health and she was the goddess of sexuality. She had a temple that sat on 70,000 acres in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And a million people every year would flock to the city once a year to worship Artemis in a great festival called the Artemisia. And they would, the way you worshiped Artemis was through um, just uninhibited sexuality. You would sleep with temple prostitutes. So what you have to know is that there's a riot in Ephesus. Ephesus is the epicenter for sexuality worship, worship of sexuality, worship of financial blessing and prosperity, health, worship of family. This is the epicenter for those things. And there's a riot and it has something to do with a local church living on mission, filled with the Holy Spirit and following Jesus with their whole life. So what caused the riot in Ephesus? Well, Luke gives us three things, and I'm gonna talk about the one. It's in Acts 19. It's in the beginning, verse one. Let's look at that together. So to have the context, can we relate to a city, to a society, to a culture that worships sexuality as an identity, that worships um, financial blessing and prosperity, that worships the family or families, can we, or that worships the business, health, and beauty? Can, do we live in a context that's similar? Mm-hmm. Yes! Come on, church! This is ridiculous. I've been up since five, and I had no help this morning with my son because my wife's out of town, and I was bouncing him on my arm and practicing this message. And I just talked to a girl that hiked Mount Baldy by herself yesterday, and she was here at nine o'clock, and she says, I don't sleep in. What's up with that? Let's do this. Okay. <laughs> Acts 19, what caused the riot? 
Verse one, this is point number one. While, while Apollos was at Corinth, he's another church planner, evangelist, teacher. The apostle Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So Paul moves from one city and goes to Ephesus. And listen to what it says. This is before the riot. There he found some disciples. Later we find out 12 in total, 12 people and ask them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, when, people play, uh, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So this is the beginning of what happened in Ephesus. It begins here. Paul finds some followers of Jesus, 12 disciples, and he asks them a question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, before I go on on this, let me just make a point about Paul. Everywhere Paul went, he started a church. Paul would just walk into a new city. He would go and, and talk to the Jews of the community, would go to the synagogues, proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, and then go to the marketplace and begin to do what he did everywhere he went. And that was to just continue the, the mission of Jesus and plant churches everywhere he went. Acts chapter 17 says it this way. Paul leaves all of his traveling companions, his friends in a, a, another city, gets kicked out of that city, and he finds himself in Athens, the epicenter of Greek thought and philosophy, and he's just, he's supposed to wait because he got in trouble. He's just supposed to wait. Hang out, Paul. Chill out for a little bit. Take a vacation. While Paul was waiting for them, in verse 16, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what does he do? Does he wait? No. He starts a church. He reasons with them in the synagogue, um, both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul was the kind of guy that couldn't wait to just get things going. He has no friends with him. He's, he's moved with compassion when he's filled with great distress because he sees that this city is devoted to other gods and they need Jesus. And what are we gonna do? We're gonna do what we always do. We're gonna be the church. And so he doesn't wait for his friends. He starts a church. He's by himself. And then he goes to Ephesus. There's 12 dudes. It says 12 guys. And he finds them and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why on earth would he have to ask this question? What, what, what was he missing? What, what were they missing? Maybe he showed up and they're like, you don't have PowerPoint. Your programming isn't right. Your coffee isn't on time. Hey, you know, you didn't preach enough of the word. You know, you told too many stories. You talked about hip hop. No, that's not what he, he, he assesses. Something's wrong. Something's missing. The lifeblood of the church is not present in these followers. Did you receive the spirit? We didn't even know. 
We didn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul corrects their theology, and brothers and sisters, I just have to say, I grew up in a church without the presence of God, and brothers and sisters, the only way to be Christian is to be filled with the presence of God in your life. You cannot have a relationship with God without his presence in your life. You can't do anything that Jesus wants you to do without him doing it through you. The church is to be full of people that are filled with the presence of God in ordinary, extraordinary, naturally supernatural ways. Amen. We're not gonna renew the city because we got really good at doing Bible studies, because we get really good at doing worship gatherings, because we get really good at Alpha, because we get really good at hospitality, we get really good at community groups, because you guys are nice or more moral than the world. We're only gonna transform cities because we are filled with the presence of God. The mission is for all of us. It's for everyone that says yes to Jesus. If you say yes, you are walking with a mission to do what he did, to be like him. How on earth are you gonna do that? Not on your own strength, Lord, help us. But through his strength in you. The church is to be so full of life that people on the outside looking go, I want some of that. I want to have what they're having. I want to be like them. I want to have a marriage like their marriage. I want, to have, I want to raise kids like that. I want to be a part of a family that looks like that. That's the type of community that can only happen because individuals are filled with the presence of God. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you received the presence of God? And what do I mean by that? Yes, when you say yes and make a confession, and somehow in the Christian faith, we've made salvation prayer the end game. That is the, that's not anything. Where do we see Jesus say, just say this prayer and you're good. You'll go to heaven when you die. That's not the point. The point is to experience eternal life here and now for the rest of eternity. To be filled with God's presence so that you can live in right relationship with him, with, with yourself and other people, so that you can continue the mission that God had from Genesis chapter three on, which is the renewal of the cosmos through his church. And you are invited to be an ambassador. You are invited, invited to be a kingdom practitioner. You are invited to be a full of the kingdom resources in your everyday life. You are invited to do the stuff that Jesus did. You have to do it with the Spirit. I'm preaching. Amen. I'm preaching. This is not the coffee. I'm telling you right now, we have to give God his church back, not to programs, not through becoming nice people, not just through social action or good deeds, but all of those things. But we need to come to the place where we surrender it all and receive the spirit so that we can keep moving forward. So what Paul does is he assesses what's going on in the community. He says, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. John's baptism is one of repentance. I've been a part of churches. There are parts of our church that we operate out of the flesh. Whatever we build in the flesh has to be sustained in the flesh, but what's built in the spirit is sustained in the spirit. And that's the same for your life. We become filled with the presence of God and things begin to happen. In Ephesus, Paul says, all right, let me check this theology. It's not just a baptism of repentance but one of fire, because it's Jesus' baptism. And then he lays hands. How many of you have been prayed for? 
How many of you have come forward and asked the person praying for you to lay hands and pray for more of the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Paul says in Ephesians 5.20, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually filled. That's for the church. Every time we gather, we're asking God, give us more of your presence. I wanna expand my capacity to receive more of you in my life because I need it as a father. I need it as a husband. I need it as a friend, as a boss, as a coworker. I need it as someone that struggles with depression and anxiety. I need it because I have insecurity. I need the presence of God to fill me. And when the church surrendered, it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. This is a shorthand for Luke. This is a technical phrase. Luke uses this throughout the book of Luke and, or the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts to describe what is normal when the spirit of God comes on people. What is normal is that they experience something. And there are things attached to it that are unexplainable at times. Yes, speaking in tongues um, and prophecy, that's, those are some of the gifts that are available for all of the church. You don't just get one, guys. The gifts, all of the gifts are available for all of the church. And guess what? The gifts are not for you. They're for the people that you're praying for, right? <laughs> prophecy is not become, not, you don't prophesy so that you become a good prophesier, prophet. <laughs> That was the coffee. Um, <laughs> like I know. Um, it's for the people you're praying for. So my point is this. The church is filled, and, and, and uh, Luke's just saying they're filled with the Spirit, and this is what happens. I think there are so many other ways. You can experience peace and joy. The primary way is experiencing love, that you f- you're filled with the love of God. That's the primary, in my experience, the primary way I, I see people experiencing the presence of God in their life when they're filled with the Spirit of God is they know that the Father in heaven loves them as a child. How many of you are here and you need to experience the furious, overwhelming love of a father for you who loves you as you are, not as you should be? Then come forward. Come forward today and get prayer and let, let people pray and give you an, uh, create space for you to be filled with the presence because that's, that's what we need for our vision, our spirit-filled followers. What caused the riot in Ephesus? Number one, the local church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke traces it. He says it starts here. The disciples were in Ephesus for some period of time. They made a relationship with God. Paul corrects their theology. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 19. And then things start to happen. And we get to the end of Acts 19. And the city of 250,000 is turned upside down because a local church of 12 are filled with the Spirit. Can I get an amen? amen? So they're filled with the Spirit uh, and, and they move forward. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... Um, that's, that's when the church becomes an unstoppable force. The local church is filled. Followers hear the voice of God. And when they learn to obey the voice of God, anything is possible. Brothers and sisters, when I talk about in Long Beach as it is, is, as it is in heaven, the dream is all of you are filled with the presence of God. You can hear his voice. You know his voice. And you are obedient to his voice in your everyday ordinary life. Because that's when we become unstoppable. That's when it becomes a movement. That's when you pray, not just here in a safe environment, but on the streets where you're going to fail over and over again. But you're risking obedience, right? 
And so uh, it begins here for us. It begins as we talk about the future we have for the future city, the future of the garden. It all begins with you being filled with the spirit. You, in ongoing ways, experiencing the presence of God in your own life, being changed from inside out. The Holy Spirit works within us to transform us so that he can do something in us. The Holy Spirit works within us to transform us so that God can do something through us. That's the work of the Spirit in our life. And so at the garden, we want to see lives restored, physical lives, spiritual lives, social lives, all restored back to God. These are the directions we're heading. So let me, let me stop here. I've, I've got some, some that's, that's where we're going as a church. But I wanted to end here. As I was preparing for this sermon, I thought, what if I could capture you for this Sunday? And what if you actually bought in to this vision, bought in to being a spirit-filled follower? What would I hope takes place for you as an individual? And I guess the question is then, what kind of disciple do we want to produce at the garden? And the way I I kind of defined it, I defined it as seven characteristics of a spirit-filled follower. I'm just gonna go through these points and briefly talk and then we'll pray, okay? So quick seven points. I don't do this very often, but here's seven points. And this is what, what, where it's coming from. My dream would be this, that you go to the rescue mission. Some of you move and you go to another church. You go to a job. You visit a community group. You experience life in the city. And the way people experience you, the way they would describe you, are are with these seven characteristics. You with me? So number one, spirit-filled followers are filled with love. What does it mean to be a spirit-filled follower? You experience the love of God in your life, a love for other people, and a love for God in yourself. My dream would be that when people say, man, those gardeners, they're so full of love. You with me? Number two, spirit-filled followers are filled with fruit. It says in Galatians uh, chapter five, I think, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When, when I describe the garden, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit grows within you over a lifetime and for the rest of the eternity. As you walk out your faith in your everyday ordinary life in community with the presence of God dwelling in you, you will, you will begin to experience peace, love, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering or forbearance. These are things that we need in the world, do we not? How many of you need these in your own life? I'm the first to say, and I'm gonna say it here, that I am so, I have, a sh- I have a quick temper. I'm quick to lose my temper. I get angry often. I struggle with depression. I regularly have anxiety, although I've had breakthrough for the last six weeks. I shared, quick note, because I forgot to share this. I shared that when we started praying for anxiety, I had it for about five weeks, right? Were you here for that? Some of you. Well, I forgot to share this. It ended and it ended in a very specific way. I was, I, was, I was dealing with all sorts of anxiety attached to emotions and letting people down, transitions in our church. It was really hard. It was so painful. I carried that weight for our church and the people that it involved, really painful. I was giving my son a bath and I was like talking to God in my head and I was just looking at my son just literally play with so much joy. 
And I felt like the Lord just said, this is what life is supposed to be like for you in, in ministry. And I said, that's what I want. And he said, I said, God, take anxiety away. And it's been gone ever since. Right? It's awesome. But all to say, I'm a mixed bag. So are you. But we're on our way to fruit. All right? We're growing fruit. Let's keep going. Because um, I know we want to get out of here. But more importantly, I know you want to experience the presence of God in your life. Spirit-filled followers are filled with humility. Please, Garden Church, if you represent us, if you go anywhere and say, I go to the garden, be humble. Point to Jesus. If you get the privilege of praying for someone and they experience God and they're healed or they experience love, there's an effect. Please, it's not about you. It is about Jesus doing that work. No matter what happens, it has to point to Jesus. We have to be humble. There is no spiritual pride in our church. We are seeing healings every week. We are seeing healings throughout the week. And if the first thing that's gonna ruin that for us is we think that that has something to do with us. It is all about Jesus. Be humble. There's a great passage second, uh, in Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Spirit-filled followers are filled with gifts. We need to be a church where words of knowledge, healing, prophecy, tongues, tongues and interpretation is totally normal. Is it normal in your life? Is it normal in your life? If you are a spirit-filled follower, the gifts will be normal in your life. And there are four other people, and you can grow in this. And if you're interested, tomorrow night, we have our part two of our two-part prayer training at the office. I'm teaching on the gifts and specifically the healing ministry of Jesus. How do we pray for healing? And it's great because I think it's for everyone. You all get to participate. We all should be growing in this gifts. That's what it means to mature as the body of Christ. Spirit-filled followers are filled with gifts. Let me just make one other comment real quick so that you know. Um, uh, uh, the gifts aren't just for the church inside. It's for ex- people experiencing God outside. The best evangelism that takes place in my experience is when there's an explanation for something that's supernatural that happened. Let me tell you why you got healed. Jesus loves you. Accept him and come to know him. That's it. And they do every time. You can do that. Do you know that? Huh. Okay, quick story. Yes, on Friday. Oh, man. I, I was walking from lunch in downtown with a friend. And I see a guy in a wheelchair and he, was, he had this thing in his hand and I overheard him saying that it was gold and it was a wrapper, of, a gum wrapper. And I thought, man, I heard the word gold and I immediately was pulled to Acts chapter three when uh, Peter and John are walking into the temple gate beautiful and they see the cripple um, who was lame from birth asking for money and they say silver and gold I do not have but what I do have I give freely in the name of Jesus walk. And that just filled my mind. I'm like... All right, God, let's do this. He's in a wheelchair. He's paralyzed from the waist down. No joke. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, this is going to happen. I have the faith. All right, God's going to move. Walk up to him. What's your name? My name's John. He was completely out of it. Can I pray for you? No, absolutely not. Shut down. Couldn't pray for him. Second time in my entire life that someone denied me to pray for them. I keep asking people. Most people are very receptive. He would not let me pray. So I thought in that moment, wow, God, this is really hard. You are the only one that has the power to heal, but I have power in this moment to do something. 
what can I do? And he said, bless him. So I said, what do you need? And he said, I need lunch. All right, that's what I can do. I can give away what I do have. I have the ability to buy you lunch. Amen? Yes. Bought him lunch. Story's not over. <laughs> Gave him a 7-Eleven lunch. That's what he wanted. I came back to him. He's still out of, out of it quite realistically. He's just struggling, homeless man. And um, I said, John, can I pray for you now? He's like, absolutely. I said, John, I really think God wants to heal your legs and I hope that he will in this lifetime. Can I pray for that? He's like, yep. Prayed for it for a little while. Nothing happened. That's the end of the story. <laughs> Why do I share that with you? God is always at work. And maybe what he needed more than anything was a bag of Doritos Cool Ranch. But I also have the faith that believes he will be healed. And I have the faith that believes that I should be praying for people that Jesus would be praying for every time I see them. Brothers and sisters, we grow in gifts. Point number five, spirit-filled followers are filled with power. It says in Romans that we're more than conquerors. Matthew chapter 10 says that Jesus gave us all the authority, his authority and power to cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. We're to do what Jesus did. We have power. So many of us live defeated. We literally experience life as a victim rather than a conqueror. It is him who conquered, and because of that, we get to conquer. So if you're here, you're struggling with identity, you're struggling with eating disorders, you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with sleeplessness, you're struggling getting up in the morning to go to work, guess what? God has given you power to transform the atmosphere that you live in through the Spirit. Point number six, for those of us that are keeping track at home, spirit-filled followers are full of generosity. Remember, I'm describing characteristics that I want people to see in you when you go somewhere else. Are you generous? How do you practice generosity? Don't just give to the budget at the church. You should give generously to the church budget. Give every time generously someone asks of you. Every time. Brothers and sisters, let me just say this. I said this as a joke, but I mean it. I want our church to be seen as generous everywhere they go. So when you give tips, minimum 20%. All the waiters said amen. I, did, I waited tables, put myself through college. Minimum, if you don't have enough for a tip, do not go and eat out. <laughs> Call, yeah. Calling it out. <laughs> Let's be generous with our lives. Lastly, the spirit-filled followers are full of purpose. You are people now that walk with a mission. Have you ever seen somebody who's wandering around the streets? Like, you just, like you're in a hurry, but you have that friend that just literally is just like, looking wherever, you know, like P. P Jinta usually is just like kind of wandering. <laughs> just kidding, Pete, I love you, dude. Just like, you know, like they're aimlessly wandering, like they can go anywhere, you, care, you know. We have a mission. We are called to make disciples of all nations. You wanna know, oh, what's a purpose-driven life? That's your purpose. It's not about you. This is about what Jesus is trying to do through you. We are people that are walking. You've seen those people. They're, they're like eyes are focused. They're walking. Do you know what I'm talking about? You like, you like get out of their way when you're like walking down the street because they are going to go through you. We have that mission. You have a purpose. You have a task. Be a person filled with the Spirit with a task. Brothers and sisters, when the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, anything is possible. And guess what's going to happen? The city is going to no- notice. And eventually, the places where the city needs to be transformed, they're going to be rioting because of the church. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. 
For more information about The Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.